Harper's Commerce Podcast. I'm your host and fellow cinematographer, Jared Levy. We are sponsored by Masters in Motion. This week is with director Lauren Sick. I had a great time chatting with her about a really wide range of topics. I We, we, we had a really nice conversation about what has been going on for her within quarantine. I'm starting to have that conversation with more people now that we're recording a lot of them during quarantine. And it's just fascinating because that's certainly not something that has been part of the uh, podcast previously, of course. And so that was uh, an interesting conversation. And then also at the, at the end, we got into fascinating talk about, the, you know, her desires. Right now, she's doing a lot more commercial work, um, trying to do narrative work go, uh, going into the future. And once you get into that realm, you really start to think about what you actually want to be um, working on and talking about um, in a way that, you know, I think in commercials, it's more about uh, interpreting someone else's work and ideas into and, and, and directing them but it's it, it takes on a whole new life when you're at the helm of a narrative piece so that that was that was great too and then in the middle really just kind of breaking down a couple of her of her pieces and um kind of going into detail about them so I think if you do want to check out that work I think it'll bring a lot more to the piece you can go to her website Lauren Sick uh it, it, it is as it's spelled uh, laurensick.com and you can check out a lot of these. We talked about American Authors, Deep Water, uh, Mariah the Scientist, music video called Reminders. We talked about Foster, uh, M.O. and Foster the People. And we talked about uh, a Hallmark commercial that for her went, a Hallmark commercial that for her went um, really viral because uh, Hallmark didn't want to air it at first because it was about a same-sex wedding. And then there was an absolute enormous backlash and um, it dominated Twitter for a little while. And they brought it back, and so she was able to speak about what it was like having been the uh, director on that one. And so overall, a really, really nice conversation. And I think um, especially after having so many uh, episodes in a row with TV and film people, I think it's nice to have someone on the commercial side um, who's also earlier in their career and has way more uh, uh, ahead of them than behind them. And I think, um, you know, that's kind of where this podcast got its start, and as of the last season or so, there's been a lot of people who have had full careers that we've had come on the podcast. And so I think it's nice and interesting to continue in the mix with people who are up and coming still, but who definitely have a lot of um, talent and a lot of promise and um, hearing from someone who's in the trenches of still somewhat figuring it out. And I think that, that that's cool. And I really enjoyed the conversation for that reason. And so, like I said, we are uh, sponsored by Masters in Motion. It's a three-day filmmaking Conference every year in December in Austin, Texas. Uh, ASC cinematographers, AC editors, big time production designers, they all come down, give presentations. Um, a lot of them also stay, and it turns into a nice social event, um, not only with them, but also with the other attendees who are also uh, great filmmakers in their own right. You can go to shooteditlearn.com to learn more about that. So this week is with director Lauren Sick. Thanks for being here. been interesting doing podcast recordings during quarantine because I am, you know, I normally am not asking this stuff, but I am curious to hear what people are doing in relation to the craft, if they're taking this time to be working on anything, or if they are kind of maybe learning a new computer program, or if they're kind of not engaging with the craft at all right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a moment where I really wasn't engaging and kind of purposefully so. Um, I was kind of just sitting in in the moment, and it was hard to get inspired. I mean, especially initially when, like, the reality of this situation hit, and 
saw how many people were suffering and it was just really kind of tough to make my, you know, making movies feel important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially from, you know, such a privileged position, seeing how many other people were working hard to put food on their table. But, you know, it, it it's evolved and, and I am, I'm, yeah, I'm like getting into the groove of writing and, yeah. uh, you know, I just finished a screenplay, which is really exciting. This time has kind of allowed me to concentrate really uh, fully on that. Um, and there've been little uh, commercial projects like remote shooting stuff that have that have popped up. So I'm kind of starting to engage a lot more on, on those things. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's taken everyone a while to get into the swing of the, the new normal. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I was kind of in that same way that it took, for a minute I didn't want to do or couldn't fathom doing anything. But as this has become more common, I don't know, you adjust, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of have to, right. I mean, it's, um, finding ways to, to fill your days is really important. I've, I've never been great at sticking to a schedule or anything very regimented. I think that my creative process generally is a little more free flowing. I think there's like some form of organized chaos happening, but, um, so the, the freedom of my days has kind of allowed for that process to unfold more naturally yeah well no I mean it's the way that the creative process works in terms of you know something that might have taken you 10 minutes to write was actually a six-hour process of, mm-hmm. of cultivating the moment where it took 10 minutes and that's a whole new world when you can't leave your house the way that you might have needed to in the past to get those 10 minutes out so exactly and I, and I I think too that you know everything slowing down, I, it's allowed me to be a bit easier on myself, mm-hmm. you know, or something that I would have felt prior this pressure to like get it done. Like I'm you know I'm so under the gun and seeing that everyone else is working and everyone else yeah. is productive and producing and making and posting and you know mm-hmm. it, I think the fact that everything is on pause, I'm allowing myself to take six hours to write something that maybe should only take 10 minutes mm-hmm. and being and being okay with it, you know? Yeah, no, I, uh, a conversation I had on the show with Khalid uh, Motaseb a couple weeks ago, he was saying that he could just feel that the rest of the industry isn't doing, isn't working and it, it, it calms him down, which I think yeah. is fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, it's been really interesting asking people these questions because, I mean, this podcast has been around for a while and uh, this whole conversation was not a part of it before. So it's just it's it's an interesting way to start for sure. For sure. I, I, um, I have friends of mine started a, a new podcast. They're producers and the whole intention of the conversation was just meant to be, you know, what does it mean to to be a good producer and what can we do to make productions run more smoothly and talking about, you know, from the studio system down through like small direct to brand type stuff. Mm-hmm. And it completely evolved. Um, and yeah. they, and it's really, it's really about the future of the industry now and how we're going to conduct ourselves and create mm-hmm. things that matter moving forward within these crazy restrictions, limitations. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a whole new world in more than one way. Um, mm-hmm. well, cool. Well, going back, you know, I like to kind of go through and, hear how you kind of arrived to where you are right now. Um, and I know that it was a bit of a long road from what I've read about getting to 
directing. How did you first get on sets, and what at that point did you know that you wanted to eventually end up directing, or was it more of a uh, of a path of discovery about what you actually wanted to be doing? It, it was definitely a path of discovery, but um, I I always wrote when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always writing. I was always putting on plays. I was always, you know, taking the the video camera as the most cliche thing that's ever come out of my mouth but you know dad's video camera making movies with your friends in the woods you know I I was doing those things um but I was a performer also and I I really wanted to act Mm -hmm. and I did you know the school plays I, I had an agent um through high school and I was going out for some really big parts like movies and tv mm. when I was younger um but then I uh you know my all my friends were applying to colleges and going to school. And I felt like I was kind of missing out on some things cause I was missing school. And, um, so I kind of, I kind of set it down for a little while and then went and just got like a liberal arts education and, um, and yeah, it wasn't sure. You know, I, I loved being on set. I continued acting after college for a while and, um, and then started getting into production design. Uh, I, I was on set acting in something uh, and met a producer at uh, College Humor. Uh, and he said that they they needed people in their art department. So, uh, you know, I wasn't really getting roles that I was excited about as an actor. So I decided to get more involved behind the camera and worked with them in, in production design for a little while. And eventually started producing and then was a freelance producer for many years doing a lot of short films and commercials and music videos and stuff. But um, I think it was the producing that that made me realize that I really wanted to have the creative control. Um, I found myself... Was that through being disappointed or frustrated in in not being able to control that aspect when you're producing a project that's cool and someone's doing something in a different way kind of thing yeah exactly I mean it was partially that and it was also I found myself often in the role of a creative producer Mm -hmm. but then having to deal with all the other bullshit which like god bless producers I have like so much respect for them and um and I think I've had a lot of producers um like say to me as, as a director on their projects that they really appreciate working with me because I, I understand their responsibility throughout the whole, the whole process and yeah. how difficult things can be and how, you know, demanding directors can be <laughs> uh, when they haven't had that experience and had to play that, that role. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, I found myself kind of making a lot of contributions as, as a producer in terms of, um, you know, either the script or writing or, or visuals or, you know, creative points of view. And those were used in the finished product, which was great. I felt like I was contributing, but I was excited to to find more opportunities where I could kind of helm that myself. Where um, throughout that process were you finding that you had like how did you know that you had a voice if you were mm-hmm. in that in constantly doing things that were not um, tapping into one necessarily? You know, I was still creating my own small projects on the side Mm -hmm. uh I would you know I would do these these random little single take videos that I would star in um where just weird random things happen they were very like 
very, very lo-fi, very, you know, retro Miranda July type weirdo shit. Um, (laughs) And and I, you know, I, I I love doing that and people were were responding to those. um, So I kind of, I I always kept that, that sort of flame alive. Mm. Um, But, you know, in terms of knowing I had a voice, I, I, I kind of was just, I was so much younger then and just making shit that I liked and that was fun. And you cultivate that as you go. And even, even now, you know, I think the landscape is so cluttered Mm. um, that, you know, you really have to kind of tone it all out in order to, in order to say something that is really true. I think it's like really easy to kind of look to Vimeo and Instagram and, and film festivals and, you know, and whatever zeitgeisty on Netflix and, and say like, Oh, I, I could do that or I should do that. But um, I think the more I tune it out and historically, the more I've tuned it out, the more I'm able to, to find what is truly unique to me and my perspective. It's funny that you say that I had, I was talking with Miles J and he, mm-hmm. he loved his work. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I've, he, he just straight up deleted all of it for the same reasons that you're talking about. Um, so that is a common theme that I, I think I'm hearing more and more, especially from the people whose work I really admire and enjoy. Um, to that, to that end, cause I, I saw that thing that, um, music bed made, yeah, like a little, like a little film portrait, and it was talking about you picked a date about um, that you were going to start directing then and start to turn down producing jobs, and yeah. an opportunity to to produce a Yoko Ono music video came about, that, and you turned it down because you picked a date. I did, yeah, and I, um, you know that that was a tough that was a tough decision and a tough crossroads. You know, I I I was also asked to produce a uh uh, an independent film with parker posey Mm -hmm. and i i really really i love her and the project was really exciting and you know i would have just been starting at like pming it or whatever but um but uh you know i just i knew if i if i said yes to these bigger projects as a producer that that would just that would be my track and that's how people would would view me and they already were and I knew I wanted to make the jump and I knew I wanted to make the transition so when when people started coming to me for for producing jobs I just would say you know I'm not doing that anymore I can refer you to this great friend of mine but if you have anything that might be right for me to direct here here are these weird ass videos I've made (laughs) no one's gonna hire me right now and uh yeah, and it took a while to, to kind of build up a reel on my own and make spec stuff to get people to take me seriously as a director. Yeah, I mean, when you're in that moment too and you're turning down those things, was there was there an underlying why you wanted to do the switch? Were there just things that you were really burning to say and to to make? What what was the fi- where was the fire for making that that hard choice coming from? Hmm. I think it was more you know having to the logistics of producing were really uh were really bogging me down mm-hmm. um and whenever i was creating my own stuff um or collaborating and writing with friends or even you know when i was younger and on set with college humor there was just like so much more freedom and i just 
yeah, I just, I felt, I just feel much happier mm-hmm. doing, yeah, like using the creative side of my brain rather than the the logistical side of my brain. No, yeah, I was th- as you were forming that answer, I was like, you chose happiness, <laughs> yeah, like yes. in, in in a certain way, in a certain way, um, especially when it comes to producing, because that's a, that's a certain type of. Uh, that's a certain part of the brain that either you either enjoy that or you do not. Yeah. And, and, and so many people are, are so incredibly great at it. And every once in a while you get, you get that hybrid where they can handle the money and understand the bottom line and get the right crew together. But then, you know, if, if you're stuck in a hard spot and needing to make a game time decision, they're creative enough to sort of like stand by you and, and, you know, uphold your vision or make a suggestion that, that, you know, yeah, that really, really collaborative and helpful. When you first started the, to switch over and you were doing directing in, in, <clears throat> you know, as, as a proper role versus the stuff you were doing on the side, did anything about, about it surprise you or catch you off guard? What were your initial, um, inclinations about it once you started really doing it? Do you, do you recall? Um, I think, once, once I started working more solidly in advertising, yeah. um, that's a specific thing in, in and of itself. Yeah. Like learning, learning how to occupy space in that, in that role, um, was, you know, just a sort of, a lot of it is trial by fire. Once you, you know, when you get, when you get started, um, but I had the I had the opportunity of you know and like privilege in many cases to work with really cool directors as a producer. So I would I'd be able to observe them, which is which is a luxury that directors who've only been directors don't have. You know, mm-hmm. you don't often get to visit buddies' sets and see what their process is and how they how they conduct themselves and um, and how they handle themselves with clients and all of those things. So, so having had that experience was, was really helpful. Um, but you know, it's, it, uh, I, I mean, God, like when I think back about on the, on the things that I, that I made and, and how I got people to see me as a director, there was just, I mean, so much hustling, like music videos where the budget was like a thousand dollars or, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to, to move into the commercial space because I was like, yeah, I have to make money somehow. Um, and I, I remember I made like a, I made a little spot for this local bakery in Brooklyn. Um, the owners were friends of mine and, you know, my buddy owned a red and another friend was an editor and we, we just shot this thing for them in a day and they needed the PR and it was a, like a very, very DIY thing um but it really helped me get it really helped me get jobs after that because there was a brand attached even if it was a brand that nobody had heard of it was yeah it was yeah and I mean I think especially in the commercial realm where it is much more about because you're adapting other people's ideas and you're kind of like putting some sort of cinematic thing onto it um in the beginning of that commercial endeavor were you thinking about what your like your personal aesthetic and were you noticing that you kept taking RFPs and and things that were coming across your board and that it kept kind of going into this same world that was like how you did things were you starting to notice that and how proactive were you in that versus it kind of just ended up being the summation of things and you weren't thinking too much about it specifically <laughs> that's a that's a really 
specific and, and great question because it feels very relative to my experience where, you know, I, I'm, I was making music videos that for the most part were a little darker, a little more surreal, um, had more, um, just more, they're more stylistic and they had, um, you know, a lot of narrative uh, and like dance and choreography. And, you know, that was kind of like one lane and that felt like my lane because, you know, you have a lot more creative freedom with music videos Mm -hmm. and that was the path I, I, I wanted to walk just in terms of what I'm drawn to as, 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 as a filmmaker. Um, but I, you know, I was with commercials, I was really scrambling for whatever I could get. So after I made this bakery thing, I (laughs) I booked this job for Panera and all of a sudden I was like doing food and I was like, no, but I'm not a food. I'm not a food. So quick. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so it, it really has been a lot of, of, um, you know, Get, getting those those people with the commercial jobs uh, to see the the work that I did previously that felt like more personal work and the music videos and stuff and and trying to to find opportunities that that fit my aesthetic but you know when you're just starting out and and you're you know you're just you're just starting to direct I think particularly as a woman it's it's hard because um, you know I was getting boards for like tampons and you know <laughs> stuff like that and and um, and it's taken a while to kind of like merge those those two things to, right. to kind of have you know my visual stamp that feels more authentic to me, um, like for people in the commercial world to be coming to me for that thing rather than me just um, you know bending to whatever their right vision. Right. And what and in terms of what what that thing is, is that is that starting to become clearer just to you? in terms of like what that aesthetic is and what it like where you put things yeah for sure and it has it has been for the past couple of years and i think you know you know even even on those other projects where i where it didn't feel like me and i was just kind of taking the job to mm. build the wheel and, and pay the rent mm-hmm. uh, i would always try to imbue some of my own viewpoint and like you know a particular aesthetic into that and push it as far as I could so that with every job you kind of like get the opportunity to do that a little more yeah. <laughs> and eventually you know the, the, the stars kind of align yeah yeah I wanted to talk about a couple of the jobs and kind of like go go through them a little bit the one especially because you were talking about dance and choreography with um American authors the deep water mm-hmm. yeah. uh, video and I was um just to kind of go through it a little bit, who had the original concept for the idea? Like, how how was it originally pitched to you, and what did you end up doing with that original pitch and, and evolving it? Uh, the band came to me and and said that they they just wanted a, a video with choreography. That was it. They were like, you know, oh, really? we yeah, we don't need to be in it. We love dance. They they mentioned the um, the Sia videos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chandelier and, and uh, the one with Shia LaBeouf. Um, and they, they really, they really responded to those, which was great. Um, and, you know, just listening to the lyrics, it, it felt, you know, the song felt so much about connection and isolation and depression. And, um, and I worked with this really great choreographer, um, Amy Gardner, to, to craft a story about, 
about what what a person who's going through all of those things might feel. Um, and the we found this incredible location uh, in Terrytown, New York. It was like this old, I think it was like like Roosevelt's uh, estate or something uh, along the Hudson River. And they had these beautiful abandoned empty buildings. And one of them was, uh, was a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pool was actually built because so many children during that time were, were swimming and drowning in the Hudson River. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, so they created a, a a pool to you know make that a little more supervised and contained, I guess. But no one had used it for um, for ages, and they actually were using it as a storage unit. Yeah, so we had to like clear out all this crap that they'd been storing there since the seventies uh, from the bottom of this pool. And uh, yeah, I just I loved I loved that space, and I thought it it, it was so much a part of the of the story. Um, and obviously the song is called deep water. So I liked the connection to the, you know, this girl being trapped in the middle of the swimming pool and unable to, to get out. Yeah. I mean, cause I was curious, I think the way that choreography is abstract until it's not, and that mm-hmm. it, it, it's building a story that you're not even aware of until the story becomes like super evident kind of in yeah. like a, in like this one moment you're like, Oh, and, and so the discovery that goes into that process of, of figuring out that choreography. What was that like? What was the work with Amy to do, in doing that? Yeah, you know, I worked, I just worked really closely with her to tell her what, you know, what kind of story I wanted to tell. I knew I, knew I wanted it to center around one lead character, um, but that for the other, for there to be multiple dancers and for them to eventually come together and use their, you know, the emotions on their faces and their bodies in order to ultimately lift this girl up and out of her depression. Um, and for it to just be a commentary on how, you know, connection and togetherness can, um, yeah, can, can pull people out of like really great depths. Did, uh, did you know that have- it was going to end that way from, from the beginning? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. I mean, not until we found the location, I wasn't exactly sure about how, you know, geographically that would work and how it would mm-hmm. help tell the story. But I knew like from the outset, I was looking for an abandoned pool because I thought that that would be the, um, the, yeah, the concluding moment of the film. Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's, it's just interesting that for a period, at least for me watching it as someone who, I mean, I like, I like dance, but I'm certainly not a prime dance audience fan you know um but but i i appreciate it but there was a moment where at when it got to the towards the end and and it like it it stopped being a dance and it really started being just storytelling that's where i felt i was like okay and especially that that ending in that last shot and the acting that was in her face was really great and it 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 became more than the like it became more than some of its parts really yeah and that's what i that's that's what i love about dance and what it has the ability to do. I mean, you know, I referenced that, um, the Sia video with Maggie Ziegler and, and um, and Shia LaBeouf. What, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but where, um, they're dancing in and around this, like this cage, um, this like huge gilded cage. And, yeah. and it's, you know, they're, they're telling us a story, but they're communicating with each other. And it is just so self-evident what, what, 
what the story is there. Um, there's a lot of dance out there that is just like flowy and free form and pretty. Um, but, but I, I really do like to try to, um, yeah, use bodies, you know, in, in music videos and, you know, whatever dance pieces I I've done as, as their own vehicles for communicating emotion yeah. and a story. Yeah. Yeah, and then I mean, in terms of the of the filming of it, what what level of intentionality was there with the angles and the choices made? Um, was there was it more a process of kind of finding what was interesting as they were dancing, or did you have a distinct idea about what those angles were based on what the choreography was? Uh, we very distinctive angles. Yeah, it was it was it was shot listed. Um, yeah, our, I, you know, it's funny. I recently, actually, I found um, videos that our DP, Dan Kennedy, took on uh, our rehearsal day. And, uh, and yeah, we, we really kind of worked it out to a T beforehand. There, there was room for some improvisation once we got there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we even had, you know, Amy and Dan and I had nicknames for, for certain moves that we were, we were just like, okay, so we go from the roundabout to the, to the piggyback, to the riding the horse, and then we have the flip. And, you know, and so, and Dan would know where he had to be in the space in order to capture the riding of the horse until, you know, when the chain fell off her ankle and, you know, all, all of these things um, were, were pretty worked out. Yeah. But, you know, you have the challenge of like, your Steadicam operator gets there that morning and he didn't come to the rehearsal and he's not privy to it. So, you know, it's a lot of sort of like working it out with him in the space and getting the, getting the timing down, particularly when you're working to a track, you know, cause you want certain emotional moments to hit with uh, moments of the song to hit with the choreography, to hit with the camera move. Well, it's nice because in the edit, you know, I think the fact that I need to ask the question means that it worked because the edit, there was a spontaneous, the, the, the cuts felt almost spontaneous there was a level of spontaneity to the cuts obviously there weren't but it felt like that in a way just about it being i don't know like a fresh choice like these this was the dance going on and we just moved over and it wasn't as pre-planned as it as it was which i think is just a testament really thanks yeah i mean it's it's exciting to to you know that's why I, i love working with um I love doing music videos just because I love working with a track. I think there's just like, when I, when I listen to a song, it's, it's the emotionality of a particular moment that just help. I mean, it really just helps me visualize just a key change makes me kind of envision mm-hmm. a particular camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice. You felt that way. Thanks. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it just becomes, it's orchestration and this is just the visual component for sure. Speaking of the the music band stuff, I really wanted to talk about Maria the Scientist and Reminders. This yeah. this crazy f- fun video. Um, in the same question about who had the original concept and how much were you presented with and where did you take it? Uh, we we went through uh, a lot of iterations of that treatment. Actually, um, it was kind of an ongoing conversation with RCA for for a while. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I always wanted, my initial treatment was, was different, uh, in that the aesthetically different, um, it was still her, you know, having these like dark imaginings of, of offing her lover. Um, but it was in a much more, um, just a different sort of like visual aesthetic world. Um, and Mariah liked the, 
the overall arc of that story. Uh, but she she really responded to the sort of like opulent sixties um, kind of like Rose Bush's Jackie Kennedy, mm. uh, flouncy pink robe. Um, so so just in terms of her character and the kind of like woman and setting, like woman she wanted to portray in the setting. Um, that kind of shifted the direction a little bit, but, but that's a overall, big, that's a big change. How was yeah. that? How was that? Um, how was that handling that, that shift? And cause I mean, like it's, it looks so, it looks great and, and it has such a vibe that clearly it was embraced by you. Um, but I could see that being yeah. really challenging. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, there was a, a desire on their part, I think, to, to push it to be a little bit lighter. You know, they didn't, they, they kind of, they were shying away from, from some of the darker stuff and they didn't want her to come off as, as crazy, <laughs> um, which was kind of the whole point of the, of the story. Yeah. And I was like, we got to lean in, we got to lean. And I think that, that there was just, there was a compromise made there where it was like, okay, if we put her in this sort of like softer, we, sh- we kind of capture her in this like softer light then maybe like the actions and the things that she's doing seem a little less, um, yeah. less intense. So, so yeah, it was just kind of coming together to find a balance of like, okay, well, is it all right if there's blood? Is it all right if there's a gun? Is it all right if there's, you know, her dragging his body around? So, so yeah, it was kind of like a lot of give and take, but I was, I was pushing for the, <laughs> <laughs> you, were pushing, you wanted it to be more metal. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what reference, what I'm curious to hear what kind of references you were pulling from on the visuals. Cause it was doing a lot of interesting things. I thought that what, like, you know, even like the, um, the telephoto lens movement and like mm-hmm. that stuff was working well. Um, obviously a lot of, there was almost, to me, it had like a Miami vice kind of vibe in terms of the colors. And I was just yeah. curious what references you were pulling from and how you were like, um, talking about that with your teams. Yeah, I mean, well, the, you know, one of the angles of the video is that there's, they're doing this, you know, photo shoot at their house, right? There's like a, like a journalist uh, coming in to interview them with a photographer and a video team. And um, so, so the, the telephoto stuff and the zooms were, were um, kind of leaning into this like paparazzi idea, like people are, are just interested in, in them and invading their space, Um and, you know, I, I actually did think a lot, like, you know, once we kind of delved into the more, like, Stepford Wivesy, uh, Jackie O type type thing, I was looking at a lot of, like, footage of the Kennedys and, and stuff like that. Um, That's a and, funny you know, reference for this video. I know, yeah. yeah. I get it, but um, it's, it's it's you know, I never would have guessed, but it makes sense. Yeah, and, um, you know, but the, the bedroom stuff, like, f- felt you know, I was able to kind of like push that into a more like modern space. So I was, you know, referencing the film belly for the lighting, Mm. um, you know, the, the blue light and the black light and her and the, the white, the white clothes, uh, her like white underwear and stuff. And yeah, it's just, you know, so belly was one (laughs) and the Kennedys were another, which seems totally on opposite sides of the spectrum. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, like the, the location really, really informed a lot, you know. I, like I, yeah, I mean, it was perfect. It, it, was, it, it, was, a ca- it was a character, you know. Totally, the swimming pool and, the, and that staircase and the, and the marble floors. And, um, yeah, and then that, and like getting in there and, and doing the tech scout, like, helped inform a lot of, 
I mean, we knew what the look was going to be, but, but the camera moves and like these big, like this bigger single take idea I had to reveal the murder. Um, just the architecture of the space really, really helped us craft something original yeah and i was noticing this in a, in a few of your in a few of the pieces that i i really felt um I, uh, that i was just as i was watching it, i was really enjoying the production design and the art and i was knowing that that is kind of where one of the places that you came up through i'm just curious like do you feel that part of you is like a stronger element the way some directors come up through camera and and that they kind of lean into that is is like production design and art like your thing and you kind of feel like you have this I don't know that's your fact your x factor in a way yeah very much very much it's I mean I'm crazy on set like uh, you know if I see something <laughs> in the frame I'm always and I never want to be one of those directors who's like art can you shift that vase three inches to the left like you know I just I I jump up I ask them like hey would you mind if I do this and then I pop in and kind of like tweak things and um, but for sure, yeah, that's, that's always been a big, a big element for me. Finding the right location, um, obviously is huge locations and production design. And also, you know, working with, with the actors and with performers, like on that video in particular, it, you know, it, it, that was Mariah's first video. Oh, really? Um, it was her first time performing in front of a group of people. Um, pretty like good. Even, so, so it was, it was, it was, a it was new for her. And so that was like an, an added level of, um, of time for the day. But I think that like, you know, having a performance background and, and, you know, having that language to communicate with, with talent is, has made things a bit easier. Yeah. And even something that comes to mind, like I wasn't going to talk about it in depth, but the, the, um, the foster, the people music video, even just the things about, um, the people around the skate, um, the skate, skating pool, and they had the uh, the pink, like sash, like that's, mm-hmm. and just the way that the pink sash worked on all of them, and that like now all of their movement is accentuated. And I was like, that's just a really interesting one little thing that's not a big deal, but becomes one. And it just, I felt like, well, that, it just that's, I feel like that's connected to what we're talking about. Yeah, totally. I I I wanted to to differentiate that video. I mean, like. And, and that was Mo's, I mean, Mark Foster was a feature on it, but that's uh, Mo's song. And she, um, yeah, what we talked about a lot was just sort of uh, her time that she spent in, in Los Angeles uh, and it feeling like this like bright, sunny, airy, positive place or that she should be feeling that way, but that she was, you know, maybe going through like a tougher time and that there is this, you know, any everyone knows there's this sort of like darker underbelly to to LA and so I I wanted to give the skaters you know this in this like cool SoCal skate park on a bright sunny day um something that made them feel a little more uh like threatening you know and like present and and like unknowable because they're like shrouded and veiled in a weird way. So they're kind of these like specters that are floating, floating around her. And it's just amazing what a like piece of material can do Yeah, <laughs> to, to kind of help sell a, a, a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. As I was watching, like, this is really quite simple, but it's changing everything about this shot. Um, yeah. It was just something that I, I, I found myself thinking about since I've watched it. Um, and then last, for, just before we leave the reminders video, I mean, the cinematography in it across the whole thing is really striking. And I'm curious to your, 
the relationship that you have that you try to have with your DP about how hands on are you? Um, is it is it super detailed or are you trying to see what they bring to it and then kind of just have a gut reaction and talk after what is what what is the interaction that you prefer to have um well that was my first time working with uh with gall gall parat um and i had i had seen his previous work and his so many of his frames just are suffused with this just like ethereal Mm -hmm. beauty um and so I knew that he he would bring he would bring that to to this, and you know it was meant to kind of have like a gauzy yet gritty feel, and I think that he's really great at capturing um, capturing that. And yeah, we we shared a lot of references, um, and we, you know, like he'd set up a shot, and I we'd have a discussion before rolling. Um, but I, I am very I'm quite involved like in the in the lighting process. And I think too, like that, like the production design background and the it's lighting part and parcel, it is part and parcel. So I, so I, you know, I asked like, okay, so, but if we, if we put this unit outside and we shine it through the windows and we have her walk through it and, you know, like, is that the plan? And then like, what are we going to do for key? And are we, you know, so, so throughout each one, I kind of, so you, you are like, getting granular. Yeah. And I like, I like to, I like to, to, uh, understand the initial game plan if i say hey this is what i want to communicate in this moment Hmm. um and then i say what do you think of how to achieve that and then they'll kind of give me like a rough sketch and then i'm like cool go do your do your thing and then obviously they set it up and then we get it up on the monitor and then we make small small adjustments that makes sense but that's cool that you're like just questioning where the key is going i you know it it doesn't it doesn't happen (laughs) all the time Maybe it really pisses everybody off. No, I don't know. no, I always, I like it. I, you know, I enjoy nerding out with the director because it's like if we can be speaking the same language from that point, I mean, I, th- I think that's great. Um, yeah. And then the, the last project I want to talk about, I think, is, of course, the Hallmark piece. And oh. especially because I think that one of the things that I'm most curious about, and I think it's what ends up separating a lot of commercial directors, is that when a really great commercial happens either because of its subject matter in this instance or because it's really pushing the edge of like what's normally acceptable in terms of like exposure levels or whatever it might be uh when it finishes i think to myself i just wonder like how 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 was it actually how did it get cleared by people by by the people who we would call on the client side or the agency side um and i think a lot of that has to do with the stewardship and the selling and the pitching of the director um, and I, you know, that whole part, I think fascinates me. Um, cause I, I see often it not working out or it get dumbed down or called back or softened. Um, and so I am curious when, when things do work out to like ask about that. And so to that end, um, just curious what the, what the RFP originally said and what, what, what the plan was and where you took it and then how you from that initial conversation, how you maintained it? Well, to be, to be honest, I mean, the, the agency on, on that one was great. Um, sister studios, they're, they're really awesome people. I did another, I did did another commercial with them and NASDAQ shoot with them, which was also wonderful. Um, and Zola, Zola was great too. I mean, you know, they, they are a huge entity. They, they host, you know, 
millions of couples of all different types on their on their website and, and their registry and they they really wanted to be fully inclusive in mm-hmm. that way you know it's important for them to have diversity and and important for them to have a same-sex couple and we went through a couple of iterations of like will it be two men will it be two women will it will what you know what what will they look like will it be an interracial couple will it be you know um so we kind of you know in our casting actually we we had uh, the bride from from one of the other same-sex weddings was initially maybe going to be linked up with one of the women in the same-sex wedding. And, you know, all that was getting worked out, but they were fully, fully on board. Um, and to be honest, like that spot, you know, I I was happy to do it. Um, I, I don't think that myself or my team thought twice about the fact that it was a lesbian wedding. Yeah. Um, it was just when... <laughs> when uh, Hallmark uh, decided not to to air it, and and Twitter exploded that it that it got all of the uh, all of the attention that it did. When when that did happen, what was it like on your from your perspective? It was pretty wild. I mean, I you know I'm I'm not on Twitter really, and and I was I was out to dinner with my boyfriend, and uh, he went to the bathroom and and uh, came back after waiting online. It was like you know that that what you did is the uh, number one trending topic on Twitter right now. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, uh, okay, show me how to use that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm just so glad that it sparked a conversation. I mean, it's kind of funny going back to what we were talking about, about like our personal aesthetics and, and, you know, the type of material that we're drawn to versus, I mean, Hey, it's a podcast called art versus commerce. Right. So Sometimes you take the job because you're putting money Absolutely. in the bank and you like the people and, and, you know, you can make something pretty and, um, you know, but, uh, in this case, I, I, you know, it, it it's, it, it's not exactly like the material I'm, I'm drawn to, but it's certainly the most viewed thing that I've ever done. Cause it was all, all over the news. So that was kind of a strange, strange thing. Um, but I'm just so thrilled to have been a part of something that, that sparked a conversation like this. And a week after, uh, after the CEO stepped down, uh, I got emails from, from some girlfriends who are, uh, friends of mine that are actors and they were getting breakdowns from the Hallmark channel to play, uh, a mother in the same sex family for one of their holiday movies that they were making so they did a complete 180 and really are now trying to to you that's know, cool people represented on their network yeah yeah it's nice that when a mea culpa actually has some some meat on the bone yeah as uh, we're seeing these days it's uh <laughs> i'll take anything i could get these days that, yeah. that that feels heartwarming even in even yeah. even in the smallest way <laughs> one tiny incremental win at a time yeah yeah. Well, cool. Um, in terms of where you are now and where you're trying to continue, what are you, where are you hoping to grow in terms of the directing? Yeah. I'm, um, well, I've always, you know, wanted to, to do narrative. Um, but I always knew I had to, when starting out, make a living as a director, which is kind of how the commercial career happened. Um, but I'm, I'm right now, I, I just, uh, as I mentioned at the top, finished writing a script that I'm co-writing with my partner that, um, is, is getting shopped around right now, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and there are already some, some big production companies and potential financiers who are interested in it. And, you know, I think that this is a really 
really unique time. I, I mean, people in development are around and they want to buy stuff and they <laughs> want to believe that this will be over soon and they have time to read things. So if you're listening out there and you have something that is mm-hmm. ready to go, uh, you know, is this talk to your reps and, and get it out there. So, so, so that's kind of the next step. You know, I've been feeling for a while that I, I just, I I'm ready to, I want to level up and, um, mm-hmm. and moving through that space. Is it, is it, are there specific stories that you're trying to tell? Not, not, not to get like details uh, necessarily, but like, are there certain things, I guess it goes back to that question about are there certain things you want to say? And I was realizing when I was asking that earlier, I'm like, well, that was at a commercial point in their life, which is not necessarily the moment where you say something. That's the moment where you're learning like the craft of directing, but that's not the same thing. But now what you're talking about, I think, is and it's like, are there things that you're trying to say in terms of, and it, you could speak in, in general terms. Yeah, I mean, well, this 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 project. I mean, I guess I'll just you know touch on this project in, in particular, but um, is is about women's women's place in society and sort of how 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 society and our culture. Uh, conditions girls to uh like disappear Mm. (laughs) and particularly after a after a a certain age how um women tend to particularly if they're mothers you know like there's a there's a cultural uh cultural pressure to to be like a martyr if you're meant to be a a good mother um and so kind of like pulling all of these like cultural memos apart and um and exploring that, and in this case, through a through a horror lens, uh, there's like a because I I love genre and um, and like darker psychological. It sounds stuff. like that. I was gonna say like you you keep the darkness is is like <laughs> the darkness, the darkness. <laughs> like darker or, or metal in a way, and like yeah, that that sounds that sounds like an aesthetic growing and building. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I it's interesting. Like I never I. I Obviously, I, I identify as, as a woman, and, and I, I never really thought that that was something necessarily that, that I'd always be telling stories about. But I find more and more that, like, you know, what I'm hired to do and the people I cast and the stories I tell and the things that are coming through are, are, are you know, through a through a feminine lens, but... but um, but really casting more of a um, more of an eye toward toward how women are are perceived in our in our mm. culture. It's fascinating because I, I didn't know this reminds me now that I was thinking about it when I was looking at the work that uh, a fair amount of the stuff has a um, there's a certain sexuality either to the story that was being told in any one of these given things we've talked about or. The, even just in the movement of some of the acting, um, and but that I felt like I could perceive the female gaze in the work, but I didn't know if I'm just projecting on that because I know that if that you made it versus a guy making it, and I'm curious if what you like do you think about that is or or is it really not a proactive thought? It's it's not a proactive thought, um, and. And I wonder, you know, I, I know a lot of women, 
per, like specifically discuss the female gaze in, in it being part of their like thought out approach. Yeah. But but I think it's something that just just is. Well, that makes know? sense. Yeah, and I, and I think too, like you know, having been having been brought up on television and movies that are all and commercials, obviously that are that are all through the male gaze. I think it's easy to see a lot of things and say mm, what I believe or what I think or what I see and how I perceive the world is not that. So how do I? How do I not do that <laughs> when I pick up my camera? You know. Well, it's funny because I think I I was you know I don't. I was even shying away from asking the question because I, to a part of me thinks like it's bullshit that I need to ask you that question, but I'm not asking a guy about a male gaze. And like, mm. I'm very, very hyper aware of that fact. And like, I don't like playing into it, but I don't know. You, it, it, it started to become the topic in this moment, but it is fascinating. Um, and I guess, especially knowing that it's twofold. Cause it's like, I'm not thinking about it on the visual side, but that might end up being what happens Cause that's just my gaze. And then, mm-hmm. but I am being very much drawn to writing about, you know, female topics. So it's mm-hmm. like, you're doing, you're not doing one and doing the other. And it's just, um, that's just, I'm finding it interesting to talk about. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, um, you know, we did like a, like a side by side quote unquote blind viewing session mm of of different works like on a on a variety of topics and different genres if people would be able to somehow pinpoint what that would was be fascinating perspective of a woman and, and a male perspective or a you know like non-binary person and you know um that would be a curious yeah that 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 sounds like a like some sort of phd project Sorry, <laughs> yeah. of our mfa project if i ever heard one but but yeah. but 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 also quite quite interesting too um but that is, but that is cool that you're. That it sounds like you're finding um, certain footing on the narrative side and the more personal projects that that it's coming through in that way. I think that's exciting. Yeah, it it has been, you know, and it, like I I think too, just while we're still on the topic of like you know women's stories and the female gaze and stuff, like I think I'm also you know revolting against the you know. The, the dominant the dominant narrative and, and perspective that that women you know have to be a certain way and capture them in a in a traditional way so it's it's and, and for me it's not even necessarily about showing like the strength or the ability or the prowess or the or you know the, the power of a woman because to me that shit's a given and I feel like I want to explore female characters that are that are that are complicated and that are like mm-hmm. fucked up and mm-hmm. that are complex and mm-hmm. that, you know, don't need to prove that they are all of the aforementioned things and have more going on. And, and that's, that's like a tricky thing. And with this project in particular, it's like a fine line to tread because, you know, America doesn't like an, an imperfect mother or a, or a, or a very, very flawed, potentially dangerous woman. Um, but that's the kind of shit that's fascinating to me. No, but it's fa- it's it's cool because essentially it's also I don't know I was thinking like you don't a lot of that stuff that can be all about female empowerment definitely in a good way is trying to like fight for the simple notion that 
women are human in every in like in all of the layered aspects. But it's like if we can operate from a base understanding that that's the prerequisite, like of of course, then we we it can be all the things that you're talking about versus having to like the journey isn't to get to that point. The journey starts from that point, really. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, that's that's an hour. So I um, really enjoyed the conversation. Was was looking forward to this. We've been talking about doing it for a while, and I'm glad that we're able to. Um, even yeah. even if we're able to because of these crazy times, it's, it's nice that we can. Yep, nice to see you. Nice to see you know your your bedroom. Yes. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes, through through the power of Zoom, um, interviews in our in our bedroom. Nice to see your. It looks like it might be a bedroom. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well. <laughs> Um, I appreciate it and, and thank you.